All right. Glad I don't have to introduce myself again. Open your Bibles. Luke chapter 5, please. Luke chapter 5. Now, I told you uh, last week that uh, my, my goal is ministry training. Okay? And uh, you're going to see I got a pretty good memory. Uh, I haven't been around much lately, but that's should be behind me now. And uh, one of the neat things, I don't believe that I'm through, and I don't think I've earned anything, but I'm, I'm on the other side of the, the thing than, than most of you are, younger people, okay? Congratulations on 20 years. Amen. So Rod said, feels like five minutes underwater. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's got to deal with that, not me. But you see, like I know a lot of you have kind of give me some funny looks because you come up here, you come up and say, hey, we're going to go do this, you want to go? And I just say no. You know? And it kind of stuns you. You think, well, God, you were a missionary. You did this. You should. You know what? I don't feel like I've I burned the candle out, you know, both ends and the middle. And I don't, you know, like I say, I don't think I'm through, but I don't feel like i got to do jump at every opportunity. And, and, you know, we were talking about why we do ministry. And for some, this will be full-time ministry. For some, it's a ministry you do in addition to your job. And for some, it's, it may just be your ministry of reconciliation, your family and friends and coworkers. Man, I, man, I feel like I'm in the NFL. People who work with are always getting thrown in jail. And, you know, one of them just came back been in jail. Another one got thrown in jail. So, you know, it's a messed up world we're living in. And we've got these ministries. And... And one of the things that I see, I, I talk about this because I struggled with it. And so I know, and I listen to some of y'all, it's hard to figure out what's the right thing to do. And you don't always know who to go at. I mean, that's part of faith and, and walking with God. It's figuring all this stuff out and learning to move in it. And, you know, for the last couple of weeks, uh, Eric started talking about humility. That is the foundation of everything. You, you're getting nowhere through pride. Isn't that right, Spencer? You know, you're not going to do anything but a face plant. Okay? you got to humble yourself. If you can't deal with that, God will take care of it for you. It's going to get done one way or the other, no matter how long it takes. So just go ahead and make it easy on yourself. Right? And we talked about, uh, and then he left that, he went in to talk about suffering. And I mean, that is just not preached in America anymore. I grew up in a time when it was, you know. Uh, my daddy believed in suffering. He, you know, that he kept that car seat scooted back. I mean, he was just pop. He just he could get you, okay? There was consequences for things. And uh, now it doesn't seem so much that way, but it's, it's going to be. God's not forgetting anything, okay? And so there's got to be humility. There's got to be willingness to suffer because you're going to face it. You know, we, we talked about these exploding, exploding churches just like pop rocks that are here one minute and not the next. You know, and you look in the Bible in the book of Acts and uh, Peter and John going to pray just had the biggest revival on earth since Nineveh. And you know, those two guys don't have a coin to give to this beggar. Okay? So we, we're taught a lot of misconceptions about the way things should be. And, and, and our culture doesn't help us any with that. There's got to be a willingness to obey. Isaiah 118 says, you're willing, the willing and obedient well, a lot of people say, yeah, it's up there now. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be as white as snow. Though they're written, no, that's not the one. Which one? Next one, 19. Yeah. You see, and that's the same thing we talked about with uh, James 121 about the, the cutting and the, the engrafting of the word. It takes humility to accept it. The cutting hurts. If you're willing and obedient. See, everybody in church is always telling you they're willing. Oh, yeah, brother, I want to do this. Oh, yeah, I want to. You know, it's like you didn't see that thing that just happened about the brownies? You see, he was perfectly willing to trust everybody. He said, did we get some, some faces and some names attached to that deal? Because now's the time to do it. It's time to put people on the spot. Everybody says, yeah, yeah, but there's going to be some folks wanting to put some in their bellies on Sunday morning, Okay. And so it requires some follow-through, some obedience. And that's not so much fun as it seems. 
You don't just eat the best because you're a king's kid. According to the Bible now, I'm not quoting anybody else. If you're willing and obedient. Willingness, obedience. Okay. And we talked the other day about the rhema word. That, that voice, that thing. You know what, today, it's a simple little thing. I was coming back from work, and there's a place down there on the elders where that big uh, levee is. And I'm coming up there, man, I got this thing figured out. It's like NASCAR, buddy. I mean, I know which, when to, ch- I done clocked all these things. I know which lane to be in, the whole thing. I got to get in this one for a while and then jump over all the way over and then get back over. And man, I can, I can get home quick, okay? This, today, this evening, I'm coming home and I'm just going down the road. And see, a lot of y'all would just say, well, something just told me. No, it ain't something. It's the Holy Ghost. It's somebody. Okay, start giving him credit. Start giving him glory. And I'm going along and I know this is the worst lane to be in. It's time for me to change lane. This little voice said, just stay where you are. You know what I had to do? I had to trust. Because see, I'm, I'm like I say, I'm on the other side of a lot of this stuff. I've done some of these things. I've walked through some of this stuff. And, and that develops a confidence. You know, newlyweds don't already trust each other. You know, you hour late. Where you been? What are you doing? You know, you've you married 20, 30 years. You come home a couple hours late and they don't care. You know? You couldn't, you couldn't find something else to do, stay on a little longer. You know, it's just different. And, and I mean, I, boy, I tell you, just, oh, and I, I just stayed put. I popped over the hill, and I'll tell you what, I went, I didn't even check up, just straight there. All the traffic was in there. I don't know what was going on. Don't care. Thank you, Jesus. Got me on to the house. I like it like that. You know? As opposed to the way things went yesterday, and I'm not going to talk about that. I love this little story. Luke chapter 5, you there? Let's just start in verse 1. It says, sometime later, oh, I'm in John, excuse me. See how much I'm paying attention. Y'all still there? That was going to be good. Okay, Luke chapter 5. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him, listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I love this story because I like to fish. You know? Uh, you understand they're putting, they're cleaning stuff up, putting it away? You understand they throw it back out there, it's going to get dirty, and they got to do all this stuff again? And you understand there's a carpenter telling these fishermen who have failed what to do? Like everything's wrong. Everything. It's the wrong time of day, the wrong place, everything. And these guys, Jesus looks at them and says, you know what? Shove it on out there a little deeper and drop them nets back down there. And, you know, those guys had that little moment like I did there. They just... There's nothing wrong with that. We're humans, you know? Quit beating yourself up over little stuff. The, the deal is to learn to figure out, you know, like Matt talked about, you know, you got the little angel over here and the little devil over here talking to you. You got to figure out which voice you're hearing. Okay, and it takes experience. What was, what was that statement uh, Will Rogers said uh, about good, uh, oh man, good understanding or something? comes through experience and much of that, or no, good judgment comes through experience and much of that through bad judgment. <laughs> so a lot of your wrong decisions are what are going to teach you what's right. Like we said, Jesus learned obedience through the things which he suffered. And he was perfect. So, you know, you're not getting out of this thing easy. Um, so, that, right, you know, this is a great place for a gap. You know, this is a great place to put a period and have a, 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 a another verse start. Because there was a moment that passed there. You know, them guys thought about it a second. And, and, and Simon says, he looks at him and says, look, you know, we've been doing this all night. This is what we do for a living. We know what we're doing. We've done this all night. We, we didn't just show up to fix nets today. And we hadn't caught anything. You know what he's really saying? Man, I, I really would just soon go home and go to sleep. I've had enough of this. You know, it gets that way sometimes. And... He says, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so. King James says, 
at your word. That's it. Why do you do ministry? Why do you witness? Why do you... At your word. Sometimes it's just because he says so. We talked about the parable of the two sons. You know, why? Daddy came out and said, I want you to go work in my field. We've talked about Adam. Man, God didn't create us... You know, if God would have wanted us to sit around and play video games, He'd have plopped Adam on a couch with a PlayStation on day one. Okay, it didn't happen. He dropped him down there and said, you know what, i got a job for you, boy. Amen. And that's the way it is for all of us. He's got a purpose for you. Why would you want to live without a purpose? I can't figure that out. Okay? I've had people accuse me of being a workaholic. That ain't true. I like to work. Okay, workaholics neglect their families. Workaholics have messed up priorities. You can be a hard-working person and not be a workaholic. All right? Nothing wrong with hard work, but you got to know when to stop. you got to be, you know, a guy told me one time, he said, you know, 95, 99% of all marital problems are the man's fault. And I mean, I really took issue with that. But you know what? In my life, I've seen that to be true. Because a man should have his finger on the pulse of his house. And he should be able to tell when something's going to happen. I remember one time we were hiking, and uh, man, I, I mean, I, I knew this place real well. I was up there every month, every couple weeks, and, and I got this one spot. I mean, I was just gasping for air. I was, like, <gasps> I was like, I was breathing, and nothing was happening. I was like, man, something's wrong here. And one of the guys with me had one of those super watches with the barometric pressure thing on it. And I asked him, I said, what's your watch say the barometric pressure is? And he says, like, 22. I said, there ain't no way, man. Can't be. We, you know, I said, there'd have to be a hurricane bearing down on us to have that. Well, guess what? We stopped the next town, called the states, and found out there was a hurricane coming right at us, man. That thing nailed us down for four days. Okay? Got to get sensitive to stuff. You got to learn how to feel things around you. Uh, at your word, I'll do it. Why should I go talk to that guy over there? Well, I may have a motive, I may not. We're talking about why to do things. Yeah. Sometimes there's a reason. I got news for you, Jack. You standing on the side of the road with a sign telling me you're hungry does not obligate me to do anything. You say, oh, that's hard. No. I think Jesus said, when you see your brother in need, I see somebody standing on the side of the road with a sign. Some of them bigger than I am. That don't look like hungry to me. There ain't no place in America, maybe on earth, where it's easier to get a job right now in this the city. Okay? So do what you want to. But when I see something, regardless of how, you know, I can be in here and see something going on. And you may, you know, there can be something that one of us sees. The one who sees it is the one who's responsible for it. To check it out, find out, do something about it if necessary. And if you can't do it, get some help. That's what we're here for. <sighs> At your word. Sometimes, you know, that's, that's one thing I've seen a lot of people beat themselves up about. Is when you're first starting off, you got something to say, it's just, sometimes you just about explode. It just seems, what's that term, critical mass? It's been very few times in my life it's been a deal where if I didn't say at this time, they were dead before it came back. You know? But it has been a couple of occasions. But not all. But, you know, that's another thing. You got, you got to learn. Uh, I've seen times, I know some people have, that I've followed have taught me that, you know, when, say, operating in spiritual gifts, you know, if God shows you something, the quicker you say it, the quicker you move on it, because that's displaying absolute confidence and trust and obedience. When you really recognize it, you move quickly, you'll get greater power and greater manifestations of it. Okay? And then there's been times, I remember one time we were in, uh, on some island, I think it was in Fiji. And, uh, you know, it's funny, you said you wanted to uh, go to the cannibals and wind up with a marriage counseling thing. Well, I wanted to do marriage counseling and wound up with cannibals. It just, God's got his own way about doing stuff, you know. <laughs> so we're out there with the cannibals. And uh, why was I even telling you this? Oh, yeah. And, and his family showed up. This guy, this little guy showed up, and he looked just like a fellow from one of the villages in Mexico we worked with. And, and I saw him, and it was like a four-day uh, ministry uh, conference thing and, and campaign and all. And I saw this guy, and God showed me something just right off the bat about him. And, and I, I, it was really incomplete. 
And I went over to him, and, and you know, I was willing to go with him, but I just went up and said, hey, look, brother, you know, how long are you going to be here? And he said, oh, we plan to be here till the last service. I said, good deal. And so I just let it go. And every service we'd be there, I prayed for this guy, and we just, it just became more and more clear. And, and I was really getting excited, like the last service comes around. And that guy and his wife, it was getting dark, and, and, and that, that service, at the beginning of the service, we're sitting on the front row, and the, the head pastor thing comes up, man, they're dedicating the land to the church, just had a big old uh, bamboo hut out there, you know, and they just got the paper signed on it, and it's going to be where they build a new church, and he got up and led us all in a repentance of cannibalism. Hmm, it's dark, there's no way to town, I mean, you're on foot, you know, so it doesn't matter who you can outrun. So, God, this ain't good, you know. But anyway, we get get time altar call and and we're going around praying for people. Anyway, I, I got one of my catchers. I said, "Man, you know this little guy?" Yeah. I said, "Go find him." And a few minutes later, I see him waving over in the middle of the thing, and I get my way back there to him, and him and his wife are standing there. And and see, it's been like four days now that God's been just just adding to and refining this thing. And I mean, it is all. And I grabbed their hands and just leaned in there and started talking to him and prayed with them. And I'm not kidding you, in a minute, it looked like a hand grenade went off right there on the floor between us. There was like a 10-foot circle. Everybody out there was just laid out on the ground, me included. It was wonderful, you know. Yeah, that makes me think, I was thinking about it the other day, new believers, new ministers are like hand grenades, you know. They're just indiscriminate killers. They just as loud, you know, they, they, they throw the thing at the devil and just liable to get six of their... Buddies in the process, you know. <laughs> Hand grenades don't belong in foxholes, okay. You know, like I can tell Mike, I, I use he's, he's my illustrative sermon, okay. I can tell you about Mike. I heard about him. I, I was checking up on Mike, and they told me about him. And, and what I understand, see, see, that's the first phase you get into. You're a hand grenade. You're just dangerous to your best friends. You are to the devil, and. You see, Mike used to be a hand grenade. He would just go off, and man, it just got everybody, and it was a mess. But you know what's happened now? Mike's graduated. Mike has got up to the next level. He's now a shotgun. You know what that means? It means you put Mike up here and point him that way, all the shrapnel's going in the right direction. You know what? That's good. That's progress. Don't be, hey, man, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. You know, I'll, I'll just go ahead and get it. I was going to wait a later talk about this. I'm just going to tell you. When I was a teenager, 31 years ago right now, this summer, 31, 32 years ago, we'll get over in a minute to Deuteronomy. I was at a Monroe Christian Center. Brother Clarence Matheny, you ever hear him? Yeah. He preached that message. That I still remember it. God, man, I'm getting chills just thinking about it. 31 years ago, I was, I was just... Man, I was just wild and crazy. Just didn't have sense enough to pour liquid out of a boot, you know. And what do you want? This is got to be politically correct in some things. <laughs> okay, and I'll tell you. So I was just starting to get into this stuff, and I didn't know anything, you know. And I'd be up there talking to people and stuff. And, and I'll use Dustin for this one. Let Mike off the hook. And I'd just be talking, okay? And I didn't know anything. I couldn't do anything. And I'd be just talking. I'd be looking around at people. And, and like Dustin, just be one person every time. I'd look back there and see Dustin. And I kid you not, it was like an x-ray machine. It's like his skin would peel back. His bones would peel back. And I could see his physical heart. And every time it happened, the very bottom, that little tip down there on the bottom of the heart would just be black. Sometimes a little bit, sometimes more. And, you know, for, for a while, you know, for a long time, I thought I did something wrong, messed around, lost that. You know, I thought that was a neat gift to have, you know. And now I realize, you know, it was just the beginning for me. It was, it was, I didn't have the understanding. Nobody was, you know, I was, you learn things by doing them. And what it showed me was that I could see, you know what, something's wrong with Dustin. That may be obvious to y'all, but I mean, it took God to show it to me. <laughs> And so, you know what I'd do? As soon as service over, I'd make a beeline for that person and I'd sit there and I'll tell you, every time I ever did it, it didn't take just a few minutes, they'd just start talking and just telling me some of the just wildest stuff. Big problem. Emotional uh, 
mental, spiritual, all kind of stuff, sin issues. And that was the beginning of it for me, just getting in there and being able to, but, but you got to get going. you got to move. You know, you said something the other day about uh, steering a bicycle, steering something's not moving. Casey Tree said that years ago. He said it's impossible to steer a bicycle unless it's moving. You know, you can be headed to that wall. You can turn that thing around real quick and get going in the right direction. But you got to make it move. Um, let's go to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. Verse 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. King James says vision. What do we talk about? Seeing stuff. You know, I, I listen to y'all talk about these things. You got the jail ministry, you got the bus, you got the homeless people, you got all this stuff going on. And what happens is, you know, there's no meeting and an assignment deal. There's no obvious choice stuff. If somebody sees something and they say, you know what? If we could do that, we could do it. What is that? That's a vision. You see, a vision locks you into a purpose. When you don't have a purpose, you don't have a vision. That's when you cast out, you know, there's no point in it. Like that congressman they just, see, when he lost, when he lost his job, he didn't have any point in quitting his sin. Now that he wants the job back, he's going to tell everybody to quit. It works the same for all of us. It's the same principle. Where there's no revelation, where there's no vision. It, see, it's a light that's got to go on. And you know what? It's just so, oh, it's just maddening. Because sometimes the spouse sitting next to you don't see it. Sometimes your best friend can't see it. Your parents can't see it. Sometimes your pastor can't see it. It just drives you up the wall. And you feel like it's just you against the world. We're going to get to a story in a minute about a guy that says it just about like that. So humility, willingness to suffer, willingness to obey, accepting the cutting of God's Word. Y'all like uh, guacamole? Oh, man. I didn't have that in a way. Put it on the list. I know your hair is red. Might bring it back. That wasn't the color I heard about. And I came home and there was these neon worms. It just it was a little bit much for me, but I like it now. Right. <clears throat> I'm, I, I misunderstood. We'll put it like that. <laughs> Guacamole. I love guacamole. That stuff's so good. <laughs> Do you know that the guacamole, the avocados that you eat, have to be grafted? The oranges you eat have to be grafted. I'm telling you, I've had the, the natural Criollo, Creole avocados. <laughs> They're nasty. They're gray. Mm, they're rough. See, the cutting produces the good fruit. What do you want to be? Fruitful? Well, get ready to be cut. It grafts and then it grows. And then it produces. You can't just say, hey, I'm a, I'm a tree and yahoo, I got fruit. No, it doesn't work like that. You're going to get some manure piled around you for a while before you make anything good. Why do I keep looking at Dustin when I say that? <laughs> Might be God. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter, no, no, Exodus chapter 36. I've been writing that wrong all day. Exodus 36, I think, yes. Feels good to feel good again. Exodus 36, now. You ever heard people talk about God telling them to do something? How many times have you heard some foolish person say, if God wants me to go there and do that, He's going to have to speak to me in an audible voice. Oh, really? Wow. So you just made yourself God and you're setting the rules. Mm -hmm. 
you get a vision, you get a, a purpose, you get hooked into something, and you go tell somebody about it, and it's aggravating. It's frustrating. They don't see it, can't see it, don't want to see it. How many people you ever heard say, well, you know, God appeared to me like he did to Saul. Okay. Where else did that happen in the Bible? I got so aggravated. I went through the whole Bible and studied every calling in it. And you know what? There are no two exactly alike. There are some similar. Nobody else got it like that. Okay? And so when you sit there and say, well, if he does it like that, I'll do it. You're, you, you just well say, I'm not going to. You're back to having it your way. Never going to be that way. See, God wants to do greater things with you than you can imagine. You know? I was thinking about, you know when Moses, okay? What's, what's going on with Moses? Moses, I'm out of here. He kills that guy, flees Egypt, goes out in the desert. You know, have you ever been so bored that just anything seemed like a good idea? That's where Moses was. He'd been out in the desert 40 years. You know? This guy is so open to God, it's unbelievable. There's only one, you take all the compass of all the earth, there's only one fine direction that Moses does not want to go. It's back to Egypt, to Pharaoh's house. That's the one spot on earth he is not willing to go for God. And the big dummy stumbles out there and he's so bored, he sees something burning, got to go over and watch it. You understand God's calling him. God's drawing him just like he's doing you. But see, you ever thought about this? Moses coming up there looking at this bush. Wow. This is the most exciting thing that's happened to him in like 30 years. Really? This is awesome. And all of a sudden God started talking out. All of a sudden it's the most exciting thing in his life. Do you understand God sitting there telling this guy, look, I just want you to go back over here to Egypt. Oh, well, you know, that ain't really what I want to do. And you think, well, you know, I could, I could get there. I could, I've been in places before where they don't want you. And I tell you, there's ways to avoid things and hide, okay? I can find them. Yeah, I want you to go back over there. And he's like, well, you know what? I, I know there's places I can go and they ain't going to find me. I need you to go up to the palace and go see Pharaoh. Ooh. This is, the life, this is the only place on earth this guy does not want to go. It's exactly where God's going to send him. And he starts making excuses. He gets talked about that. And then look at this. Do you understand that God knows right here at this moment, I'm going to send this guy back here. I'm going to put a half a million people behind him and tell him. You go read your Bible. God told Moses, you split this sea. He didn't say stand back and watch. He didn't say, hey, you know. He didn't tell it. He gets him right there to the water. The, you know, the first group wants to kill him right behind him. The second group wants to kill him right behind them. And something you can't swim across in front of you. This guy's in every kind of bind following God. He was willing, humble. You receive with meekness. We talked about the other day. Meekest man on earth. You see, he is obedient. He is successful. He has got these people out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery. And now he's in the biggest bind he has ever... This is way bigger than killing that Egyptian, buddy. This, this is worse. All of a sudden, he's gone from the greatest thing he's ever seen to the worst. You know, and I'm sure he's sitting there thinking thing about, why did I have to go over there and take my shoes off? Why didn't I just try and walk away? What, I could have gone and burned my own bush. You know? And then he's thinking, you know, I mean, a lot of times something happens to you and you just come up with them rules for life like, I'm sure he had a bumper sticker on his camel that said, burn your own bush, you know. <laughs> Anytime he got bored, just go out there and light one up and watch it and everything's going to be fine. He's over there, a million people after him, up the thing. God looks at him and says, hey, buddy, split that sea, you know. It's like, there ain't no book about this. I like stuff that's got, I mean, I got a, a bookcase. Right inside my door, he's coming out with a bookcase. All kind, welding, bow making, boat making, you know, just all kind of stuff. And, I got to read the book before I do it. This ain't funny. Yeah. You know what? That's exactly what God wants to do with you. He's going to get you out there. 
I'm glad you're back, Joel. I'm going to tell you something. I was thinking about a verse the other day. See which one is it? Proverbs 22:29. You know what that says? It says, see a man diligent about his business. This version says skilled. I think diligence is more apt, more appropriate. I was thinking about that verse. It said, see a man diligent about his business. He will stand before kings, rulers. And I thought, I mean, I just, I read that verse and your face popped in my mind. I'm telling you, stay diligent, man. I know, see, yo, we got, there's a victory, okay, that you're a part of. And what most people think is you get the victory and everybody bows to you. No, you get the victory and the devil comes and just knocks you every which way. And you face it alone. It's rough. But you stay with it because you know what's going to happen? Because you're going to be out there doing it one day. You're going to turn around and a king's going to be standing there. You know? That means a ruler, somebody, some position, some, somebody, I'm just telling you, it's going to happen. It's just, this is not a personal prophecy. This is a fact. This is just, this is unavoidable. If you do what this says, this is the result you're going to get. Be ready. You never know who you're talking to. I've, I've been in service, I've been in places before, you know, and I had good sense enough to be polite, and I've turned around, you know, I, I, they set me down in one service, I turned around, some old guy sitting behind me, I shook his hand, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but I mean, I about passed out when they told me, you know, I just, hey man, how you doing, good to see you, and sit down, you know, some guy leaned there, you know who that is, no, and he told me, and I wanted to crawl under the chair and get about 10 rows behind him, okay, awesome man of God. When you, it don't matter how hard you hide what you do. If you are diligent about what you do, if you are faithful to God in it, He is going to put you in a prominent place. He's going to show you off like He did Job. Hey, 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 hadn't you seen that guy I got over there? Hadn't you seen that woman? Come on, man. Rahab. Man, this is bottom of the barrel. You, you think you can do something so bad God can't use you? <laughs> I don't think so. Pop that woman out of there. He, say, he takes people that are, that he, God Himself declared the destruction of these people, and He pulls one out and sticks her in the lineage of Jesus. Come on. You believe too much in your sin. Okay. Uh, 36 1 Exodus says So, Bezalel, Oliab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Now, what I've seen in the calling of God and in, in dealing with them, there are some people God specifically calls by name to specific tasks. That is not everybody. There is nothing wrong with this. It goes on. See, they're fixing to build a temple and, and it's going to take a lot. It's going to take everybody. See, the work of this church is not what we're doing right now. This is just, you know, regroup, make sure everybody's wounds are patched up and able to walk and function a few more days let's go out there and get it again get some more of it right and he said verse 2 then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oliab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given the ability and who was willing to come and do the work see there's another group there God didn't say hey hey Mike I just want you to be the you know he said, he said God didn't tell you to come here and start this church did he but you're a product of it. You want to do stuff. You want to work. And so what's God doing with you now? Doors. Boom, 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 boom. He's giving you gifts. He's giving you things. Man, I'm telling you what, if that guy ever, if him and his wife ever forgive me for talking about him, we're going to be friends one day. <laughs> There's treasure in there. And we got to help it and mine it and protect it. I'll tell you about one of the most... I, I guess I'll just probably have to say one of the most, has got to be top 10 most significant days of my life. My, my parents were school teachers in Louisiana. Not anymore, they're old and retired now. But uh, school teachers in Louisiana, if you ever notice on the stats, they're not up in the pay scale anywhere. They, you know, 47, 48, 49, 50, somewhere in there. So we, you know, we weren't wealthy growing up. My daddy worked. I mean, he always had a couple jobs. He, he, he uh, taught, coached. Uh, fished and hunted every minute he could and worked. And uh, one of the things he decided to do when we were kids, 
uh, he wanted to get some land. He wanted a place for us. So he, uh, he started selling firewood. You know, we didn't, I mean, that just was like from the moon come back then. It just people didn't do all the stuff they do now. And at the time I was a little boy, you know, when like you characters grew up getting to watch cartoons, I don't have any compassion for. Because, you know, I mean, I was made to get up early on Saturdays and drug out to the woods just mad as a wet hen. They know what that means because we're in the city. Hens don't like water. Anyway, I had two younger brothers. I was the oldest, so we'd get out there and get to doing stuff. And, man, me and my brothers would get to fight, and I just, you know, we just got to stir something up. And so I was the biggest one. I'd be on the ground getting the bigger pieces, and I learned to split the wood, and, and I throw it up there when my brothers would be up in the back of the truck stacking it, you know, and I just had to try to hit their foot. I used to be, what's that, Dennis the Menace, uh, mischievous, kind of like Spencer. And, <laughs> oh, I'm having fun, how about y'all? Right now, just one person in this room ain't, so. <laughs> and, man, I'm telling you what, it, boy, we was just, and, and we would never, they wouldn't let us fist fight. Boy, we'd do every possible thing apart from that, you know, just, and man, and we was out there loading the truck one day. See, he paid, he was a smart man. He paid us. Like when we started off, it was like three bucks. That was, I mean, my brother, I never noticed it, you know. My brother was in junior high. He, he all of a sudden, he told daddy when I said, no, daddy said, I've noticed. He said, at recess at school, he said, when everybody reaches in their pocket, he said, everybody else has just got coins. He said, I always got folding money, you know. The man worked us, made us work for it. I mean, I thought it was the greatest day of my life. I got Raised to five dollars a load, you know. But anyway, this this particular day, I'm out there, and boy. We just, I'm just stirring it up, you know. And and I'll never forget, Daddy. Boy, he stayed on me so bad, and then finally he just stopped. He said, "Jay, come over here." Man, I don't know if I'm gonna tell this. He opened the truck door up and told me, to "Sit down." He said, "I want you to sit here and watch us do this." All of a sudden, all I wanted to do was work. And he made me sit there and watch him load that thing, and I lost my pay for that load. And you know what's funny? The thing that really made me mad was everybody got along fine when I was taken out of the picture. See, you need to you need to notice that. If, if I, I, I study that, I, I mean, everybody around me, I'm you know, when I'm just sitting there watching, I'm watching you. I'm paying attention. I can I'll, I'll figure out who can't get along with who. And there's always one person that you can. You know, sometimes you can have a hundred people in here and everything's fine. And you bring one more, it's got to be the right one. And all of a sudden there's trouble. You know, there's there's a person in, in our family, thank God it's not me, that <laughs> it used to be. There's a person in our family that sometimes I don't get along with. But you know what? They don't get along with anybody. If, if you take any event and take that person out of it, it's just wonderful for everybody. You can't be that person. Don't be that person. And I'll never forget, I sat there and watched him. Boy, I cried and begged. He wouldn't let me. He didn't let up, man. After that, buddy boy. That's the way I've been ever since. I can't stand. You know, well, I can if you're younger. You know, these younger guys. I can't stand to see something. I just can't. I cannot let something go that I can fix. I can watch younger people work. I don't care. You know? I don't see how younger people sit and watch older people kill themselves doing stuff. Amen. No, I better get off of this. Oh, you have to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm getting hot now. <clears throat> Let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 8. You think I don't have any tact. I can let stuff go when I want to. Brother Clarence preached on this thing 31 years ago, 32 years ago, and I still I got the tapes and wore them out. You know? And you know, you know some of that nonsense, people thought, well, they might take our Bibles away one day. It'd probably be good for us if it did. Most folks don't read them anyway. It might, you know, making you mad about it might help. 
I believe if they took my Bible away, if I had 1 Corinthians 13, 5 through 8 memorized, I could spend my life trying to do that and I don't think I'd succeed. And Deuteronomy 8 is one of those chapters. If you didn't have anything else, this would carry you through lots of life. Okay? Verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today that you, you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what all the money-grubbing preachers promise you? That's, that's, that's what they throw out there. You do this, you can have this. No, it's not forgiven to them. It's for being obedient. It's all that God tells you to do. Verse 2, remember how the Lord your God led you way, your way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you. Remember what we read that Jesus told the devil? That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's some things in life I will not move on until God speaks to me. Now, I'm not telling him how to do it. There are some things that are so serious to him, I will not move until I get a green light or go or something that makes me believe it's okay and it's time to do it. All right? Uh, I've seen... I'm, I, I'm not better than anybody. But I have seen people make bad decisions through life. I've seen people make... You know, you can get away with a bad decision. But if you're one of the people who makes three or four or ten of them in a row between good ones, you're not going to do so well. If you make every other one bad, you're not going to do so well. You know, the more you can get right, the better off you're going to be. What John Wayne used to say? Life's hard. It's a whole lot harder if you're stupid. <laughs> Smart man. The Lord led you all the way. See, this is what I'm talking about. You come at it from, from your end of things, young people. Man, you wonder, is this really true? Can this, you know, but man, you don't know what's going on in the news right now. Yeah, I do. And I know whatever CNN says cannot change anything in this book. You know, I, I, I can show you verses where people lived 110, 120, 130 years and said, you know what? God has been faithful. He has not let one word fall to the ground that time. Man, I wish I could find people that could keep one for a year. That'd be an improvement, wouldn't it? I heard somebody one day talking about doing some ministry thing. And, you know, I'm probably going to leave off the why tonight and, and next time I get a chance, I'm going to go for more into the how. But I heard somebody talking and they were talking about doing something ministry and they had this big elaborate plan set up to back it. And it just really broke my heart inside because Jesus said, don't provide for yourself. Man, there's lots of times on the mission field, dude, I, I mean, I had some big backpacks and I worked till I got where I could carry them. And I used to go, I'm talking, man, I would load up everything I could take. You know? One time I took a pizza with me. That was a big coup. I did. I, I took a pizza in my backpack and after church that night and they stuck me in my little room to sleep, I broke that thing out. I mean, you talk about feel like a king. You know? It was just lust and gluttony. It was just... It was terrible. It was wrong. And you know what? In the last few years, I figured out, you know, my measure wasn't that. Your measure is what you can do without. And it was scary. There was times when we'd, we'd have a meeting and say, you know what? We're going to do it just like the Bible says this time. What do you mean? You know, you can take gas money and an offering, and that's it. You can't afford to have a flat. You can't afford to break down. You can't afford to stop. You, you can't get a meal. You can't get, you can't do anything. You're going to trust God the whole way. And you know what? When we started doing that, the trips got better. All of a sudden, instead of sleeping on a hard concrete floor, you get out there and somebody give you a mattress. Oh my gosh. The next thing you know, we get out there, 
And you think, man, I had this little battery-powered fan. Started leaving at home, and you know what? They give me a big one on a stand with three speeds on it. <gasps> this stuff works. It was amazing. I'm like, God, why didn't I start off doing it this way? But see, it says, and in the King James, it says, he, He's leading you out there, and He says, to afflict you. I don't like affliction. Okay? And He says, to, to see what's in your heart. Well, he already knows. He's, apparently, he's wanting to show it to us. If I was translating this, I'd have wrote it to show you what was in your heart. Because I believe he already knows. You see, God wants you in that bind between people and an ocean and the army. and He wants you to be... Man, there's just, I'm not kidding you. One, Psalm 127... Is it verse 1 says, though I dwell in the midst of trouble? Isn't that chapter somewhere? I'm not kidding you. After so many times, a guy told me years ago, this guy had come back in the field and I was talking to him about going and he said, man, he said, Jay, he said, listen to me. He said, when you get out there and everything goes against you and you're all by and everything's wrong, he said, just stand there and wait a minute. He said, because somebody will always help you. And I mean, it's the most amazing thing because time after time after time, Breakdown, uh, bandits, thieves, mad, mean people, you name it. Every time. You just want to get a stick and start hitting people. You want to take that gun away from them and use it. You know what? You just stand there and seethe. Just burn, man. Just Your whole head would just turn red. You'd be so humiliated. And you know what? In a minute you'd hear a little voice. And the most unlikely, unbelievable person would step up there on your behalf. And and see, if you take care of yourself, if you're always self-sufficient, you got everything worked out, you're never going to see the hand of God. You go out there and you face cancer and AIDS and cripple and lame and all them things that are so intimidating. And, And you know, starting out, look, man, I can't do anything by touching this. But God said, do it. And then when you do it and He heals them, you know, like, God, what? I didn't have nothing to do with that. I'm powerless. And when you get that attitude about it, He starts doing it more and more and more. I mean, a lot of people, really, to tell the truth, if, if somebody came to you and it's just, Look, I got to be healed now or I'm going to die. You don't want to pray with that person. The odds of failure are too high. But after a while of seeing it, time and time, man, I've got notebooks over there. I've got the little pads, little yellow pads like this. I've got pages and pages and pages. And what I did is I got an abbreviation of a village name because I associate everything with geography and a name and uh, uh, how many years they suffered from the thing and what it was. And just them little lines. Each line is another miracle, another healing, another deliverance, another salvation. And God, it just, it's like I remember when I couldn't talk anybody into getting saved. I remember when I couldn't lay hands. I, I mean, it just, just drove me crazy to try to see somebody get filled with the Holy Ghost. Like, how do you do this? There ain't no book on it. It's not supposed to be. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. It's true. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Didn't you read that Friday night from uh, Hebrews? Hey man, you awake? But Mike read that the other night. Extensively. We're disciplined. We're supposed to be soldiers. Endure hardship. It's like the guy said, yeah, my ship came in. Hardship. (laughs) Life lately has been like driving a six-liter Ford diesel. More pushing than driving. More towing than hauling. (laughs) Right? But it's on purpose. And there's deliverance coming. 
and character being formed. I had no idea I needed so much character formed in me. You know, I saw a man one time, he was well advanced in years, and man, he was getting hammered in a trial, and he said, you know, he said, I find it amazing at this point in my life that the Holy Ghost thinks I need more patience. <laughs> Like, man, come on, give me something to look for. Like, I'm going to get past this at some point. I don't think so. Right? You know, we were down there, and we didn't have money most of the time. And I walked all over the place. And I bought a pair of boots before I left the paper mill. Man. Like, probably about 1990 I bought those boots. I had two pairs of them things. I'm telling you, I got so mad, I could not wear them out. I wore them. I worked in them. I hiked in them. I, crossed, I got them wet. I did everything. I couldn't wear these things. I got so mad at them, I finally gave them away. The next pair I got, couldn't wear them out. Man, I move up here. Guess what? I done tore a pair of shoes in like six months. A pair of boots used to last me six years. I get six months out of it. God wants you to see that. You know, when that's the neatest thing, y'all having that baby at the house. Man, it's just that, oh, see, that is where God is. Amen. That minute when you said, I think this, I believe this, so I'm going to do this. And then when all hell breaks loose and you're screaming inside, you have messed up. And he shows up. Amen. That's all he's after right there. Because you know why? Because next time, He's just going to sit there and it gets a little more peaceful every time. And I'll tell you, you get on down the road in a minute, in a few years, I'm going to tell you, you just sit there and when things, when the bullets are flying, man, you just sit there and you're just so content. I remember one night, I don't know if I ever told you, I was told a story about this guy had AIDS. We went to find and they kept lying to me. It just, I got mad. I got, it was wasting a lot of my time, you know. And I'd had enough. Stubbornness, redneck, I don't know what you want to call it. You can call it flesh if you want to, but I just... I charged this guy, and he was some kind of authority in the area there, like the municipal president. And uh, his guard stuck his 12-gauge or something in my face. I didn't even notice it, man. I just lit into that guy like he was a little bitty dog. And I just told him what was going on and what I was going to do. And I told him what he was going to do. And then people aren't used to being told what to do. You know, Nobody ever talked to him like that. People bow and... I told him what was going to happen. And I'll never forget, I turned around walked back to the truck, and I mean, I had about eight or nine brothers in there, and they'd all turned just as white as y'all. And I mean, it was like a few minutes later, and I was like, what's up, guys? They were scared for me. I, I didn't feel a thing, because I know. I'm not being a fool. I'm not being a fool. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't like there was a camera there to record it. You know, there wasn't no glory to be had. I wasn't going to make anything out of that deal. I just had enough. You know, back when I was a kid, all the old men had fought in World War II. Korea. And you ever, we'd sit around all the time listening to them tell stories. And, and you know, being a hero isn't much different than being suicidal. And I've read lots of stories. And them old guys sit there and they're just sitting there watching one after one of their buddies getting blown up and killed. And you know what? You know what makes a hero? A hero is somebody that sits there and he's just had enough of an enemy hurting his friends. And he gets up and does something crazy. And if he lives, he's a hero. That's the way it works. It's just a fine line between heroic and suicidal. At some point, saints, we got to get just fed up with what the devil's doing to the church. We got to get sick and tired of what's happening to our neighbors and our families. We just got to put our foot down, stand up. Hey, hey man, don't do that. They're shooting at us. That's probably one of my problems. I, I mean, I've had a lot of guns pulled on me. And so far, the guys that could pull the trigger hadn't hit me. I'm not just wanting it to happen, but, you know, you just never know. Some days you back out, some days you charge. And I leave that decision up to the person who wants to do it. I don't see somebody as a coward for wanting to back down, and I don't see them crazy for wanting to charge. You just got to know. And sometimes you don't know until it's over with. But back to good judgment bad judgment. Let's jump over to number 16. This, I don't know why this is such a neglected thing. 
number 16. It's a neat statement. But because of who it's made to, like anything Jesus ever told Judas doesn't get preached. You know? Jesus still said it. What about the stuff He told us that we didn't do? Does that make it not count? No. Okay. We know about the rebellion of Korah? There is a price to be paid for all ministry. If you decide to be courageous, you know what you realize? Like, Man, my family's going to hell. And you start praying, you start fasting, you start witnessing to them, you start giving them Bibles and, and stuff. There's a price. There's a social price going, you're going to pay. Same thing with uh, co-workers, uh, friends. You know, we've all, you, you come to Jesus, you face this, okay? But that price is always there. Now here, you know the story, Cor and his bunch raise up and say, hey man, who do you think you are? Why are you challenging the authority that God had put in there? All right? And let's see, verse 8. 16, verse 8. Moses also said to Korah, Now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near to Himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them? There is a price to be paid socially. There's a price to be paid in your family. But you know what's going to happen? When, when God sees you have that faith and obey and have courage to do that, what you lose of those things around you, He is going to more than make up for. There, it, some people just you know, can't ever take the training wheels off. They're never going to get to the spot. And I want to just dare you. It's scary. And it, you know what? You're going to face some loneliness because of it you're going to be excluded for some things because of it. but is it is it worth letting somebody go to hell to be included in some party or something i don't think so is it not enough for you see when you step out and you embrace anything in ministry like i talk about ministry reconciliation people around you family friends can be one of the ministries that it goes out into the community doing stuff here can be full-time ministry okay every one of those things has a price. And it is a separation. It is not, I'm better than you. It's not that kind of thing. It's just, you can't do something because you've got to study. You can't do something because you're committing your time to me. You know, you can't get them to go fishing on Sunday morning if you're going to come to prayer. You can't go do, you can't go camping Friday night if you're going out on the streets. There is a price to be paid. And it, but the thing is, is, when you step out and do this, God draws you near to Himself. The relationship that you have with Jesus is going to deepen. It's going to have to. We sing all them pretty songs, you know, about paying prices and that's better. But we really don't believe it because we don't do it that much. We want Him and all that. And it's just not going to be that way. And it's always worth it to pay the price. draw you near to himself to do the work at the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to them. He has brought you and all your fellow Levites near himself, but now you're trying to get the priesthood too. It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? Look, it's, it is in our nature to fight authority, okay? If you don't believe that, have a baby. It's just we're born with it, okay? And it's, you see the struggle. I mean, look around you. The people that come and leave and don't come back and come in and out and stuff, it's just hard, okay? It's not that somebody's better than somebody else. It's that God chooses people for certain offices. That's it. But, man, I like being in, a, in something where the guy in the office says, hey, we're in the same ship, okay? That's who I can work. I can deal with it. Any of that other stuff? If we're on that level, I can go with it, all right? I want to encourage you. Now, I want to do something fun. I tell you, there's something I'm thinking about doing that just scares me to death, but not tonight. We'll talk about it later. It's going to really take some courage, but we'll see. I want to encourage you. And I want to invite you. Everybody go ahead and stand up.